Hello, everyone. Good Monday morning to all. Hope we enjoyed the footballs yesterday. It was a... Hmm, what, what, what can we say about the week? It was a 20 to 17 kind of Sunday. Uh, four of the 11 games that we had on Sunday on a little bit of an abbreviated schedule with six teams out on bye. Four of those games ended 2017, including Sunday night football, the Chiefs over the Titans, which we will discuss first. We lay of the land here. We're going to discuss all of Sunday's action. I will give you the parameters as far as which team was favored, what the actual score was, what my adjusted score is, which I've gone over a bunch of times. But just to reiterate, taking a little bit higher look at success rate versus some of the flukier plays that happen in there, the outlier type plays, weighing that a bit more there, making adjustments for turnover-worthy throws that do not end up being interceptions, vice versa, fumble luck special teams, luck, all that sort of stuff to get an idea as to whether or not any team was better than what their score was. Uh, Last week, we had a little bit of a unique circumstance where not a single team, according to my adjusted score, was better than their opponent who lost the actual game. Sometimes that happens. There's a few flips. Uh, I know there's at least one flip this week, but I think it's another week where generally – the scores align with my adjusted scores, which is not always the case, which gets fans uh, upset somehow in both directions when that is the case. Another little change to the agenda today. For those of you who are watching live on YouTube, no video clips this week. The NFL, in its infinite wisdom, has you know <laughs> cracked down on us uh, content creators out there who are trying to bring eyeballs to them and has decided that... Uh, you know, a little warning has been issued on using that, despite the fact that I am using Twitter clip video, like the exact little video clips that they send out on Twitter. Still, the NFL is the NFL. The videos are gone. I will have the audio for these different plays, but sometimes without the video, because this is from the TV broadcast that I'm pulling this, uh, if I really wanted to go next level, I could do like uh, the Around the NFL podcast where they primarily grab the radio feeds because the radio play-by-play guys have to contribute a little bit more, you know, a little bit more context and color via what they're saying than those that are doing on video. But I will have those clips before I get into, again, the adjusted scores, the regular scores, and my number of the week, which will be displayed up here for everyone here. All right. Again, let's start with Sunday Night Football, then I'll go back to the early window, then go through to the very abbreviated two-game late slate in the afternoon. That will be last, uh, but let's start in Kansas City. Third and nine, Mahomes gets out. Mahomes on the run, at the 10, at the 5, to the goal line, in for the touchdown! Yes, Patrick Mahomes with the scramble touchdown from 15 yards out. A scramble big third down conversion early in that one, converting a third and 17 around midfield. Another scramble touchdown later on in this game here. And that really plays into what is the number of the game for Mahomes. And that is 8.9. Now, what does 8.9 symbolize? Well, that was the expected points added via scrambles. For Patrick Mahomes, the second biggest number of his entire career. So all the games that he's played, all the playoff games, 
that big scramble touchdown that he had against the Titans, if you remember, during that Super Bowl run in 2019. None of those games were close to this for Patrick Mahomes. 8.9 expected points added on those scrambles. Just hugely beneficial in this one. And what I think it shows is that versus some other quarterbacks who we may see are struggling this year, whether it's Aaron Rodgers to a certain degree, whether it's um, whether it's um, Tom Brady, maybe, you know, some other guys who are a little bit more stationary. If you don't have that last element to your game, even in games when the, the passing game is not working as well. And we talk about Mahomes here, like he doesn't have necessarily Tyreek Hill who can get his open. He does have Kelsey who can get open. But some of these other guys, I think what Tennessee was doing is they said, we're not going to spy you. We're going to use a lot of man coverage. We're going to be very physical. Um, as we saw like on the two-point conversion play where they're just like holding people on every single play because they knew the downside on that is whatever. You gain a yard, right, to get closer to the end zone on the two-point conversion. We're going to be extremely physical on the back end. You just still have to be able to make a play. And that's what Patrick Mahomes is able to do uh, scrambling the ball where he's very opportunistic about it. He probably is someone who could generate – five plus expected points on scrambles every single game if he really wanted to do that but he doesn't want to do that but if he has to do it he can do it and I think that's what's the key to enabling them to win in these types of games okay let's go over the parameters for the entire game here 13 and a half point favorite I'm not sure if that moved or not when Malik Wills was officially declared the starter but a huge huge number here almost two touchdowns again Kansas City one of the many teams to win 2017 this week they just score 20 to 13 so pr- pretty close pretty close to what the actual score was on this one there's a pretty wild stats in this game that tell the story of this game obviously the titans did not want to pass the ball with malik willis so you know they just basically did not pass the ball with malik willis if you look in this game he had 16 pass attempts versus 68 for patrick mahomes So the contrast there is pretty crazy. 43 completions for Patrick Mahomes, five for Malik Willis in this game. 446 passing yards for Patrick Mahomes, 80 for Malik Willis. Um, And 48 of those 80 passing yards were on the first play of the game, which was a tight end screen for the Tennessee Titans. So there couldn't be a bigger contrast there. And when you look at the flip side of both of these equations here, uh, well, especially for the Chiefs, I mean, they, they really could not run the ball. They had 14 rushing yards on 13 non-Mahomes rushing attempts. So when Mahomes wasn't scrambling and running, they weren't doing anything on the ground on this one. And it wasn't like there was one guy who was bad and who was outweighing the others. No. Uh, Pacheco had his five yards, five carries. Edwards Hilaire, five yards on four carries. Jarek McKinnon, four yards on three carries. And then Michael Burton, the fullback had zero yards on his one attempt to convert a, it was a third down in this game. Um, Malik Willis. Let's talk about Malik Willis a little bit here. I was low on him. The first half, he looked okay. He looked all right. We talked about that screen pass that he had to start off the game, but then scrambled around, didn't gain some yards, lost some yards, didn't end up getting points on that that drive. Later on, he had a nice back shoulder throw to a tight end. Uh, to get near the end zone and eventually get the score from Derrick Henry. He had a pass that was dropped down the sideline, which was a nice-looking pass. But again, these are plays where, you know, Wilson's not going through his progression 
He's just looking pre-snap on where to go with the ball. He has a lot of guys who were one-on-one in man coverage, and then he was throwing it up to them. We saw that a lot in this game. That was what, those are the reads that he was making. When he had to make other types of reads, that's when things became you know, very, very difficult. And you, this kind of qualifies as maybe the second number of the game here. 28, negative 28 net passing yards for Malik Willis in the second half of this game. So net passing yards are your passing yards minus the sacks that you're taking. I mean, a couple of those sacks are right at the end of the game. But still almost embarrassingly bad how much he's running around and doesn't seem to have any chance to throw the ball. Remember, he had one pass attempt in the second half last year. If I was uh, a petty person, maybe I am a petty person, but if I was really a petty person, I'd go back to some of the discussion I was having at halftime during this game about Malik Willis and whether he was what he's playing well or not and how great he was playing. Uh, friend of the pod, Ben Brown at PFF, was saying that the Titans would be crazy not to start Malik Willis the rest of the season. Guys, let, let, let's stop hating on Tannehill <laughs> so so much here. I mean, there's no functional offense here with Malik Willis, at least as of right now, especially if you get behind and if you're in a circumstance where you have to throw the ball. I was even surprised that they threw it as many times as they did in the second half before that final drive, which, of course, they were completely forced to throw the ball in that circumstance. I was I was shocked when they got the ball back. The Titans got the ball back with 35 seconds to go on their own 30-yard line that they were letting Malik Willis throw the ball in that circumstance. Uh, I mean, nothing ended up happening. He, you know, tossed it away on a throwaway, lots of throwaways for him in this game also. Um, so, yeah, Malik Willis, I'm not ready for prime time. They need Tannehill back as soon as humanly possible uh, for them. But they have such a good chance of, you know, m- going forward and making the Super Bowl. They were not favored at all in this game they were such a big underdog this is not really hampering their playoff chances at all I wouldn't worry about it too much for Tennessee they still have an 85 percent chance basically to win the division even with the Jacksonville Jaguars winning today so they're locked in pretty well I wouldn't worry about it but definitely let's let's calm any Malik Willis hype we saw in the second half what the downside is and the downside is uh you know the, the floor is the basement here for Malik Willis uh, I thought it was an interesting kind of game management type of situations here. I don't know what Vrabel was doing at the end of the game. It didn't end up costing him where he called a timeout when the Chiefs had fourth and inches left at the end of the game. And I forget how much time was left. A minute and change was left at that point in the game. Not sure. Like, I think Andy Reid, if he was smart, he would have also called a timeout. And then left at least enough time to get into field goal range, maybe lit a little bit more time off the clock, at least enough time to go into field goal range and then have gone for it in that situation too. So I'm not sure why Vrabel called the timeout. Let's think about it. It's fourth and inches in midfield. So you're going to have two states, two state of affairs after the play. The Chiefs are going to have the ball a little bit past midfield if they convert, or the Titans are going to have the ball at midfield if they don't convert. What's the probability of the Chiefs converting in that situation? I don't know. 75% probably? Fourth and inches? Maybe it's 80%? Maybe it's 85%? I don't know. It's high. It's it's very it's very high. So like if you have a 20, let's say you're you'll say you're Vrabel in this circumstance, if you have a 25% chance of having the ball in midfield, and you have a 75% chance of the other team having the ball at midfield, do you you kind of know what's coming in this circumstance? It's an it's a no-brainer go for it type of situation it was also a no brainer go for a situation in overtime 
when the Chiefs went for it and converted, although they didn't end up getting the touchdown. They still ended up getting the field goal there. That was another no-brainer where it was interesting to hear how Mike Tirico was you know, fairly confused by what was going on there. Uh, we're not confused, but he was surprised that Andy Reid was going for it in that circumstance. You know, the Chiefs are so, so, so good at converting. Uh, third downs, fourth downs, short, long, everything. It kind of redefines what our relationship should be with these fourth down decisions when it comes to what the Chiefs are going to do. Um, other things to talk about in this particular ramifications for the game. We'll talk about the Bills next in the next game, but the combination of the Bills loss and the KC win has some big implications on our projections for who will eventually get to the Super Bowl and who will win the Super Bowl. We still have the Bills being better in both regards, primarily because we have them as being a little bit better team internally, uh, defensively in particular for how they're playing. Uh, They have the same record, both teams, but the Bills have the tiebreaker and they're not going to play again. So as of now, the Bills have the tiebreaker. So the Chiefs will have to outperform them the rest of the season They both have easy schedules after having hard schedules so far this season, but it's about equal in both regards. We have them being roughly equal as far as our wins projection, but again, Bills have that tiebreaker. Getting that first round by is absolutely enormous in your chances to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. So we have the Bills now at 38% chance to go to the Super Bowl, 28% for Kansas City, but that's gotten a lot better for Kansas City. They were about half of the Bills' chances before, so that's gone up. 24% chance for the Bills to win the Super Bowl, 16 for Kansas City. So again, that, that gap is narrowed because it was basically doubled by the Bills going into this game. Not the greatest game, I would say, offensively that makes you you know really pumped up about Kansas City's chances because how they had struggled throwing the ball but Patrick Mahomes is you know he's your trump card when it comes down to these things and he proved it in this game also establishing himself I think as being who should be the odds on favorite to now win MVP uh, if he can carry out this type of performance again for the rest of the season all right let's get on to the early action now here for the slate let's go to New York, where another huge, huge underdog, the New York Jets, this time, pull off the win. Fourth and 21. Allen running around. Jets trying to stick with him. Allen tosses. Deep ball on the way. Incomplete. Gabe Davis, the intended target. And the Jets will win it. A shocking victory. Gardner on the defensive call there against Gabe Davis. The last heave effort there for the Bills comes up short. Sauce Gardner, likely defensive rookie of the year, I think, got burnt a little bit by, well, he got burnt a lot, actually, by Diggs on the first 40-yard pass of the game. Really tightened things up after that, had an interception in this game. Played that one really well, even though he was face-guarding Davis. Uh, Maybe Davis could have done a better job of trying to draw a defensive pass interference, but most of the contact that happened on that play was between Davis's hand and Sauce Gardner's chest, uh, trying to hold Sauce off a little bit there. So not going to get the DPI in that particular game. Uh, Let's talk about Josh Allen a little bit for our number of the game four. And these are not the final numbers here. I'll just throw that out as a caveat that our grading goes through a review process. So we still, you know, this isn't the final, final numbers here. For Josh Allen, but four turnover-worthy plays in this game. Two interceptions, both of them graded turnover-worthy. Both of them pretty ugly, honestly, on that one. 
uh, had a dropped interception in this game, which is a turnover-worthy play, and then had a fumble in the pocket, which they did not lose, but had a fumble in the pocket that we also graded as being a turnover-worthy play. And again, subject to review for this week, but this season, Josh Allen has 17 turnover-worthy plays, which is two more than anyone else in the NFL, leading the NFL as of right now, leading the NFL by two in the turnover-worthy play department. Now, he gives you such amazing upside that you can deal with that. But the sloppy play in the second half last week went a little under the radar because they were so far ahead of the Packers, some sloppy interceptions there. This sloppy play this week is not going to go under the radar. They lose the game. They lose it to the Jets in a game that they were 10.5-point favorites on the road. So 10.5-point favorites were the Bills in another 2017 game. One of the four 2017 games here. The adjusted score I have is being 28 to 20 for the Jets. So this is a legit win for the Jets. This was not any sort of fluky or lucky win for the Jets in this game. If you look at Allen's play in this game, 8.2 expected points added on design run. So he was a rushing force in this game in a similar way to how Patrick Mahomes was doing it, although a lot more with designed runs here. These are all in design runs, 8.2 um, expected points added. When you go to the dropbacks, he lost 8.9 expected points. That was a huge difference there. Zach Wilson, good game for Wilson. Um, didn't use him a whole lot. A lightly used, a lightly used uh, uh, Zach Wilson in this game, which I think makes sense. You don't want him to lose the game for you. He's not quite in the stable, in the type of category with guys who are out there winning games for you. But you're fairly happy if you can get out with one turnover-worthy play for Wilson in this game, which you know did not end up being, which was the fumble sack. So that was a huge play, a huge negative for him. But there were no turnover-worthy throws for interceptions on his 25 attempts. 6.2 yards per attempt, you know, nothing too great there. 154 yards passing, nothing too great there. But again, not losing the game for you and allowing the rushing game to be really, really good. Now, there were no explosive plays for the Jets in this one, which is interesting because they were up in the 90th percentile for their success rate. They only had two plays that went more than 20 yards. One of them was a Michael Carter run of 25 yards. Another was a pass to Garrett Wilson for 24 yards. So nothing explosive there, but they were successful play in and play out, which is impressive against a Bills defense, which has been really, really good this season. Um, Carter, I mentioned Carter before. He was really the better running back between him and uh, James Robinson, although they, you know, teams love to use James Robinson. He had more carries than Carter in this game. But but Carter has 76 yards on 12 carries, a touchdown, eight missed tackles forced on those 12 carries, a very, very strong number for Carter here and they got some pressure about a 30% pressure rate on Wilson but it wasn't the overwhelming quick pressure the quick pressure rate was under 10% for the Bills that's a key good protection for the Jets they had the highest protection pass protection grade of the week for any team the Jets had this week they kept people away from Wilson which is key um, to make sure we're not getting those mistakes because Zach Wilson is the one of the best quarterbacks this season from a clean pocket, he's like by far the worst when under pressure. They kept him from being under pressure. They did not drop him back that much in this game. That really helped secure it for them in this one. Okay, so let's talk about the ramifications for the change probabilities here. I mean, we've already talked about the Jets were likely to make the playoffs before. Well, 
their playoff differentials through the roof now went up 15% based upon this one game. They're over 70% chance to make the playoffs right now. Uh, up to 10% chance to even win the division versus the Bills after securing this victory here. And the Bills' chance to win the playoffs didn't change much in this, this one. It only went down 3%. They're still 96% to make the playoffs. It's almost a done deal. But their division chances did drop 16% down to 71% right now, where, again, the Jets are sneaking in here with a 10% chance to potentially win division. Miami, with their win, is up to 14%. And New England, let's see where New England stands right now. Four percent. So they're not very they're, they're not really factoring in there, but the Bills a little bit less of a stranglehold than what we were expecting, especially painful in a game where they were a ten and a half point favorite in this one. Let's look going forward for these teams. Uh half game lead for the Bills right now at six and two versus six and three for the Jets. And the schedule going forward for the Bills, we have Vikings, very winnable game at home, Browns at home. Again, very winnable game. Then the Lions, the Patriots, the Jets again, the Dolphins, the Bears. They have all these teams on their schedule, which are pretty easy-ish sort of Ws, I think, for the Bills. That's why they're still in pretty commanding shape right now, despite only being a half game up in the standings over the Jets and the Dolphins. When we look at the rest of the Jets' schedule, huge game coming up next week. This will be the third time in... Actually, sorry, it's not next week. They have a bye. So the Jets have a bye. And then the week after that, they have the Patriots at the Patriots. After losing to the Patriots um, last week, they'll face the Patriots again. Huge, huge game for the Jets there. Because then after that, at home versus the Bears, very winnable. Vikings, Bills again, Lions, Jaguars. So you got some winnable games in there. But if you lose this Patriots game, and you you lose one of two against the Bears and the Vikings, then you got the Bills again at the Bills. Probably not going to be good there. Things could get a little dicey for the Jets for the rest of the season. They're not, you know, we don't have them being on the same level as another 6-3 and team as far as their playoff chances because of that. We still have them at, you know, 70%. Still three out of every 10 times they don't make the playoffs with this lineup. But the defense, the way that they're playing, has been a huge boost to this team. And the way you can shut down, you know, you shut down the Bills. That's a feather in your cap no matter what you think going forward about their chances. All right, let's move on to the next game in the morning. I'm on review. Let's go straight, stay within the AFC East, at least for one of the participants here. The Miami Dolphins go to Chicago, and Justin Fields will be the talk of the town after this week, but Tua and the Dolphins come away with the W. Blocked by Shell, down low, caught, diving, pylon, Wilson, touchdown, Miami! Jeff Wilson in his Dolphin debut. Tonga Bailoa with his third. Yes, yes. Jeff Wilson coming in. Fifth round pick for Jeff Wilson. Remember, it was funny the Shanahan said earlier that, you know, we're Jeff Wilson's a huge part of this team. We're not trading, we're not trading him. And then fifth round pick, boom, dude's out the door. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the backside on the way out. No, it's funny because they said they, they needed someone to match their price. And they were going to hold on to Jeff Wilson because of how much they loved him until someone matched their price. I mean, a fifth round pick, that doesn't seem like, you know, the highest price there. But I guess for a running back, you take it. You go ahead and log that in there. What's interesting about Wilson is um, in this game is he had as many rushing attempts of Raheem Mostert. He had nine carries for 51 yards. Mostert was nine for 26. 
Um, so 5.7 yards per carry, really, really good there for Wilson. And then in the passing game, he ran 13 routes to Mostert's 12, no catches for Raheem Mostert, three for 21 for Wilson, including that score there, which was the third of the touchdowns that uh, Tua put up in this game. All right, let's get to the number of the game here. And the number of the game is 24.3. Yeah. Not the doesn't roll off the tongue the easiest. I'll give you that 24.3, but that's expected points added on 18 targets for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. 1.4 expected points added every single time those guys are targeting this game. And because of that, Tua ends up with the um, highest expected points added per play of the week in this game the highest passing grade of the week at 89 in this game. Three big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays, no pressure being applied to him, zero sacks that he ended up taking in this game. Just a clean, clean game from Tua. 10.1 yards per attempt on this one. And he gets the ball out fast, even when he doesn't have pressure. You know, 2.7 time to throw. He's just efficient moving the ball down there, you know, Maybe the worst, one of the worst defenses in the NFL here for the Chicago Bears, if not the worst defense in the NFL after trading away Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith. But still, you know, beating down, putting up 35 points against bad defenses is still not the easiest thing to do for any quarterback. So I think we need to, you know, tip our cap a bit here for Tua and what he was able to do in this game because he's going to get a little bit lost in the sauce here with what Justin Fields was able to do in this game. And just to hit on Tyreek Hill for a second. So in this game, seven catches, 143 yards and a touchdown, plus a 32-yard defensive pass interference in the end zone. So that puts Tyreek Hill up to 1,104 receiving yards this season through week nine. That is a new record. It's a new record through week nine. Isaac Bruce held the old record of 1,073 yards through week nine so i know we got 17 game season 2000 yards maybe you discount that the 2000 yards for that he's on pace for for tyreek hill because of the 17 game season no no he's putting up the most yards on a per game basis that we've ever seen here coming from playing with patrick mahomes and going over to tua it's it's absolutely nuts in this one um a couple other things about the dolphins here they were 0 for 2 on fourth down chances so the game is a little bit more narrow than you might think because of that. And, you know, they're both on the bear side of the field, which kind of helped make it a little bit close in this one. Let's, let's get to the particulars though. Uh, the, okay. This, this number, this number is incorrect. Uh, sorry. I have the wrong number. Let me, let me, because I had here that the, um, that the, the bears were four point favorites. I don't think that could be the case. Okay. So, uh, Miami's a four-point favorite here. They win 35-32. We'll get to Justin Fields. Don't worry, guys. We'll get to everything Justin Fields related. Adjusted score a little bit lower, 28-25. The reason being is both teams were highly successful on third downs, especially the Bears and what they did there. So that gets discounted a little bit. Big outlier plays, too. Penalty-related outlier plays also that I mentioned. There's another pass interference with Jalen Waddell, a 40-something yard pass interference there. So they had about 80 yards and massive EPA on those two pass interference calls for the Dolphins, which I discount a little bit more than yards that you go ahead and earn. You know, the underthrown 
the underthrown uh, face guarding pass interference, which is like a huge play that they seem to make, especially with Tyreek Hill almost every week. I discount that a little bit more, although it seems to be somewhat sustainable for this offense. Okay, let's talk fields. So I want to make sure I'm not going to be, because you know, I like to lean against whatever the narrative is, if I believe it's appropriate to hedge against the narrative, but I don't want to be too much of a hater here. I do love to hate, but I'm not going to be too much of a hater here or a like caveater. Not, not, there's no such word, but a caveater here for fields because he had a great game, 79, 79.4 grade. So a little bit lower than Tua. Top five grade on the week. Uh, 0.4 EPA per play. So that was number three in EPA per play on the week with Tua being number one. So right up there. Uh, Strong game showing that the athleticism, that being unlocked a bit there. um, You know, just the most electric player on the field. 178 rushing yards on 15 carries. I heard somewhere that that was the most rushing yards in a game for a quarterback. If that's true, sounds 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 right that sounds like a lot so i'm going to give him that basically the entire offense one man offense for the bears now now that i've done that i don't know if i've put enough praise on fields here for people not to hate me to say "Eh, let's let's look at some other things here Uh, but i'm going to do it anyway so let's look at some other things here so if you look at the breakdown of expected points added for fields in this game hey in the end of the day all expected points are built are, are treated equally. All points are treated equally, right? You win the game or you lose the game based on points. But when we talk about sustainability of certain types of scoring and especially development as a quarterback in certain types of scoring, you do like to see a you know rushing component is good, but you do like to see you know a, a strong passing component also for sustainability, not getting injured, being able to win in different sort of game circumstances, all that sort of stuff here. So for fields on the week, He had 20 expected points added on scrambles and design runs. That's a lot. That's a huge number. He did not throw an interception, so no no negatives there. Um, 2.6 expected points added negative. I'm sorry, expected points lost on sacks. That's actually a pretty good number for Fields. It's a small number. He took two sacks. One of them was more like a scramble that he just didn't get back to the line of scrimmage before he ran out of bounds. So for Fields, that's pretty good. Remember, he had been like by far the worst as far as his sack rate so far this season. So taking those sacks, barely losing any expected points, that's pretty good. Solid there. Now, if you look at his pass attempts that, again, no interceptions he threw. So just looking at his pass attempts in this game, 1.7 expected points added. So, you know, it's positive. It was positive because of some third down conversions, but tiny, tiny, tiny compared to the expected points added on the ground. I mean, just to give a little bit of a contrast here, Tua in this game, passing the ball, he added 20 expected points. So he had about the same as what Fields added rushing the ball versus Fields, again, 1.6 expected points added passing the ball. So a little bit, a little bit low, a little bit low there, 4.4 yards per attempt. Um, That's an area where I, I'd like to see a little bit more from Fields there. And they really relied on some big third down plays, including that 61 yard touchdown that fields had there. Again, not necessarily the most consistent offense matriculating the ball down the field, although he did have some good throws and some good touchdown passes there for field. So altogether positive for fields. Don't, you know, don't, don't call Don't label me too much of a hater here, positive for fields, but just some things to keep in mind when we talk about his development is 
maybe not the cleanest all-around game that you would want to see from him in this one, uh, but definitely the most electric player on the field. All right, how does this affect playoff chances for these teams? Well, you know, Chicago, they're down to basically nil in the playoff chance department, despite starting off pretty well before a few losses here when they start trading away the team. And Miami, we have them up to 75% to make the playoffs, 15% to win the division. Didn't give them a lot since they were favorites in this game and only moved them up by a few percent in each, but still a solid, solid number. And God, if uh, Tua hadn't got injured and they hadn't lost those games, think of where they could be. Only a half game behind the Bills right now. They could be in the driver's seat in that division if that did not end up happening. All right, let's move on to the next game here. And we're going to go to Detroit. And I don't know. Are are we putting a fork? Guys, are we putting a fork in Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? Um, They may be donezo after this loss in Motor City. Play clock's at one. Get it off. Rodgers floats one incomplete. The Lions are going to win the game. Yes, the Lions win. Not a, not a barn burner here. <laughs> not a barn burner by any stretch here. But the Lions do come away with the victory. Green Bay falls again. The Packers are now three and six. And with the Vikings victory that we'll talk about later, they are five games behind in the loss column. Five games behind. We're halfway through the NFL season. We only got half the season left to try and make that up. The wild card is going to be highly, highly, highly contested with the Cowboys and the Giants at six and two, the 49ers at four and four, with uh, you know, the Bucks at four and five, or the Falcons at four and five. It's going to be highly, highly contested. Not looking good at all for the Packers right at this moment. And that brings us to a, a very a shocking number of the game. Maybe not shocking to you see from most quarterbacks, but for Aaron Rodgers, your 18 is our number of the game. That's the expected point loss on three Aaron Rodgers interceptions. Two in the end zone. One of them was intercepted at about like the one yard line or basically in the end zone. Extremely painful. One of them on a fourth down where it's like the worst possible outcome you can have when you go for it on fourth and one on the goal line is you get a touchback for your opponent. So not only are you not converting, but you're giving the ball back out on the 20-yard line versus like a big part of the calculus of going for it in those situations is keeping the ball, keeping them pinned in. And when you think about these interceptions, he looked like he might have been a little bit, you know, annoyed on the last one about the route being undercut by the defensive back, but you know, whatever, not great. Two other interceptions basically, you know, fires the ball into a defender's head on the goal line. The ball goes flying up in the air. It's caught. Another one where they try to run some sort of uh, David Bakhtiari as an eligible receiver fade that ends up being intercepted by Aiden Hutchinson in the end zone. Again, like just. Bad pass from Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has been a guy that throughout his career, I, I even wrote a good article. Well, I'll call it, I'll call it a good article. It did well, at least in the numbers wise. I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers' conservatism after the playoff loss last season and how that's hurt him and how he does not normally adjust his play, even when playing from behind, to take more chances, to, to risk more turnover worthy plays and interceptions in those cases. 
You just don't see that from from Aaron Rodgers. You do not see three interceptions in a game, and especially bad, bad interceptions in this one. This is the last time that Rodgers had three interceptions in a game. It was week 15 of 2017. Um, he had seven interceptions this season. The last four years for the entire season, he did not have this many. He never had more than six in the entire season. He's already out above that, that amount in this year. Weird, weird, weird game for Rodgers, who, you know, calling out his teammates, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to get called out a lot in the media this week with the new contract, the $35 million cap hit, the $60 million cap hit a couple of years down the road. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Green Bay going forward, but it's, it's, it's going to be ugly week of media for sure for Rodgers. Uh, tune in to Pat McAfee to see who Rodgers is uh, tossing under the bus uh, this week. Let's get to the particulars of this game. Green Bay, four-point favorites on this one. I think they were three and a half earlier. Uh, no props to me on this one because I liked Green Bay uh, to win, to, to cover in this one. Nah, I was wrong. They are dead. <laughs> I Maybe I hold them to my priors a little bit too long. But 15-9, loss in this one. Of course, they could have had a lot more points if they would have scored on those weird goal line plays. So it's not too like low on this one. With the adjusted score, I still have it going towards Detroit, 21-16 in this game. And just props to Dan Campbell getting this victory, getting his second W of the year. And we kind of knew those would be coming after losing all these close games. Uh, hopefully that can help propel him into or propel the Lions into winning some more games down the rest of the season and keeping Dan Campbell's job. Uh, another big development in the Packers, whether you want to fork them and say they're done at this point or not, is Rashawn Gary. Uh, likely out for the season, perhaps the best or second best defensive player on the team. If you want to throw Jair Alexander as being the best, out with an ACL tear. Rough, rough, rough for the Packers. And when we look at our updated playoff odds here for the Packers, sitting at three and six now, uh, we have them the 14% chance to make the playoffs. That's it. Only a 2% chance to win the division now, five games behind. Vikings in the loss column. On average, we have been winning seven games this year. So four more games the entire rest of the year on average. They we have their most likely outcome being finishing this season at seven and ten. Not not good, not good at all. Lions, of course, they have no chance of making the playoffs. Well, not no chance. They have a five percent chance of making the playoffs right now. Uh, nothing huge there, but at least props to them for pulling out this game. Goff with a decent game in this one. You know nothing. Spectacular, of course, in either direction for them. They didn't have to do a whole lot, only scoring the 15 points. But, you know, actually, now that I look at Goff's numbers, we, we haven't graded pretty harshly because they're two turn worthy plays. Only one of them ended up being an interception in this one. So, just a vastly winnable game for the Packers that they do not end up closing out. It's, it's, it's rough. It's rough out there in Green Bay and in Packers fandom. They lost Little Wayne, too. Looks like Little Wayne. He's now saying, why do we bring back Aaron Rodgers? There'll be a lot of that talk. Why do we bring back Aaron Rodgers? As if you want to, you know, let the back-to-back MVP, you want to kick him to the curb, uh, the Hall of Fame, you know, back-to-back MVP to the curb, which probably wasn't the right move. But, man, Rodgers did play that pretty sweet to get that contract uh, and everything he wanted going forward. All right, let's go to the next game here. I don't need to stick around on that one too long. Let's go to FedEx Field, where... Kirk Cousins makes his return 
to FedEx Field for the first time since he played for the then-named Redskins uh, years ago. Heineke throws middle high, and it's intercepted! Harrison Smith with the takeaway, and Smith inside the 20. Inside the 15, Vikings will take over. Harrison Smith with a big interception at that point where the Vikings were down by 7, 17 to 10. They get the touchdown. They eventually get the field goal to win it. Heineke's mistakes put a stake in the heart of their chances to win this game. And it's actually it's pretty wild to me that if you look up that the um, the commanders here were 4-4 four and four going into this game. They were coming off of a three-game win streak against the Bears 12-7, to the Packers 23-21, to and we kind of know a lot more about the Packers, right, each week, how bad they are. The Colts 17-16 against, you know, Sam Ellinger. They almost won this game. That This, this quite possibly could have been the worst four-game win streak in NFL history because, guys, I know Heineke, some, people seem to like Heineke for some reason, but he's just not good, even though they're winning these games. He was getting himself a lot of rope, though, by playing these games. And that brings us into the number of the game, 13.1. Those are the expected points lost on Taylor Heineke dropbacks if – you exclude the 4.4 gained, the best play of the game, on the Curtis Samuel touchdown where the, the ref was playing, um, was playing offense and took out, took out the third of three defenders that were in the area there for, for Curtis Sam, Samuel. Uh, I mean, if they would have won this game off of that play, man, that would have been crazy that Heineke would have been um, would have had would have had his fourth straight victory there because okay let's let's get into some numbers here for for Heineke this this season and this is why like can we please get some Sam Howell experience I need some Sam Howell in my life right now um because let's let's go to Heineke let's go to Heineke's numbers so far this year um his if you look at Okay, let's let's say any quarterbacks who have had at least 100 plays. Heineke has 100 plays by now. So any quarterbacks who have at least 100 plays so far this season, Heineke is in the bottom 10 in terms of EPA per play. It's not that bad. Negative 0.1 EPA per play, but, you know, not very good. If you go even further, because, you know, the dude's had a bunch of, like, dropped interceptions and other stuff so far this year, dead last. In his grade, he has a 42 grade subject to revision today, but a 42 grade this season. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 51.4. Mac Jones, geez, Mac has really fallen, 51.5. I mean, he's like significantly worse than Baker Mayfield (laughs) for his grade so far this season, but just a ton of dropped interceptions, which have kept them in these games. And I don't know. I mean, I guess he, he has something about him. He's like Brett Favre with no arm or something and how he plays sometimes. And people seem to be into that, but I don't know. Let's get some Sam Howell in our lives, please. Uh, Okay. Washington. Um, Three point favorite in this game. Is that true? (laughs) I got to look this up. I got my own numbers. I keep on, I think I'm trans, I'm transcribing the wrong numbers sometimes on this one. And I can't, I cannot believe it. Uh, here could that possibly be true no 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 they're three-point underdogs okay again i'm messing up my trans but still only three points for for washington i mean for minnesota to be favoring this game which kind of gives you some idea of you know maybe people are a little incredulous of how good the vikings are also in this game 
And this probably did not help their chances to be seen as a non-fraudulent team now. But hey, fraudulent or not, uh, you know, W's live forever. You are your record, at least when it comes to helping your chances to make the playoffs here. Um, so the Vikings can go ahead and say, hey, we're seven and one right now. We're on a six game winning streak. A lot of good vibes, a lot of good juju there, especially, you know, Kirk Cousins, a lot of you like that vibes in his return to FedEx Field in this one. Uh, but let's get back to the particulars. So um, Minnesota wins 2017, another 2017 game here. Justin scored 22-17 Minnesota. So a little bit wider, but not the most impressive of victories in this one. Um, Cousins, oh, so one player I want to highlight. There's not a lot to highlight offensively for either one of these teams, but one player I want to highlight defensively at least is, is Adarius Smith, who's really come on recently at eight pressures in this game. He had a 31% pass rush win rate, second best of the week. So that was key in putting pressure on Heineke, uh, who ended up, you know, flailing around a little bit there in what, again, was not the greatest offensive matchup in this game. Other players to highlight, I mean, we did get the 100 yards from, from Justin Jefferson. So seven targets, 115 yards, gets a touchdown. Four of those seven were for first downs. But, you know, this is one of the worst years that um, Kirk Cousins has had, which is weird. I know a lot of quarterback performance is down this year. I mean, this year versus prior years. But if you look at EPA per play, Kirk Cousins is at basically flat. 0.01, 0.01 EPA per play. Last year, 0.14. The year before, 0.17. The year before, 0.16. So we're back to 2018-ish sort of numbers for Kirk Cousins, or more like 2017, which again was the last time that he played in FedEx Field. Uh, let me take a quick look at his grading so far this year. And his grading, yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as a differential, but still his grading so far this season is at 77.1 versus 88 last year, 83, 84, the years before yet they're getting W's. So it's going to be all, you know, warm feelings and everything else in uh, Minneapolis for this one underlying, you know, maybe not great, but who cares? Because they're going to, they're 98% chance to make the playoffs now at this point. They are pretty much locked in. They have a middling schedule going forward. Uh, they're looking pretty good. Let's look at Washington here. 18% chance to make the playoffs still. Jeez, how's this, how's this happening? I guess it's because, again, at four and five, they're right in the mix with teams like the Bucks and the Falcons and others uh, going forward. And if you look at their schedule, they're just easy schedules for the most part. In the NFC East, although it gets a little bit harder because they have to play against other NFC East teams, which we assumed were going to be not so great coming into this year. But the Cowboys and um, and the Eagles are both looking really, really good. And the Giants are, you know, they're plucky. They're surprising so far this season. All right, before we get on to the rest of the action for the week, it's time to do some ad reads, and let's talk DraftKings. You want to sprinkle a little something on these games? You got a feeling? Hey, DraftKings, official sports betting partner of the NFL, DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make any $5 bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Discuss. 
And also, make things sweeter, you can get stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. $5 bet on any football game, $200 in free bets if your team wins. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And also, Western and Southern is a sponsor of the Expected Points podcast. Western and Southern. While you focus on your roster moves, they focus on your money moves. Buying a new home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, next on the agenda is the Chargers and surprising division leading going into the game, Atlanta Falcons, but the Chargers end up pulling this one off in the end. Dicker in his Chargers debut is the hero. Yes. Herbert celebrates. For the win. All Chargers win it 20 to 17. Uh, with the surprising field goal there at the end. Surprising because there's a wild sequence at the end of this game here. Um, some wild fumbling going on here. Well, first, let me hit the number of the game because that, that that like hints in on some of the wild fumbling here. 8.1. So that was the expected points lost when Khalil Mack uh, stole Drake London's lunch money and just took the ball away from him. And it's probably even worse than that if you factor in the fact that London caught the pass, was really close, like five yards away from getting to the end zone before Mack stripped it, returned it 40-something yards down the field. Now, I think... There was a drop by Palmer, which led to an interception immediately after that. So maybe you could say that nullifies the effect of this, but it's still big to move them back and out of there, right? Out of the goal line, biggest play of the game. And then the second biggest play of the game, which is hard to quantify in any sort of reasonable measure because it looks like negative uh, expected points added on the play for the Chargers. But in reality, hugely lucky for the Chargers was 48, 47, 46 seconds left in the game. Um, pass, Austin Eckler. He goes to the Atlanta 20-yard line for two yards. They're moving in to get closer and closer, wind down the clock, and kick the game-winning field goal. Fumbles. Recovered by Atlanta. And you know, these big dudes, big boys, Um let me see who who was it exactly who recovered this? Uh, oh, Taquan Graham, big boy here. Let's look at uh, exactly how big boy this guy is. 294 pounds. So he's a big boy, big boy. He's taking it down the field. He's thinking thick six, I guess, on this one, and he loses the ball. I'm not sure if he was even touched. Then he loses the ball, and it's recovered by. The Chargers at the Atlanta 43-yard line. So they lose the 23 yards, and everything is upheld. So it's a negative one in the EPA on the on the play, but the Chargers get the ball back, so they still have the ball with 34 seconds left to go. You get a 22-yard pass to the Atlanta 21-yard line to Josh Palmer from Justin Herbert, who makes that big pass at the end of the game, like he has done in some other games. You just run out the clock, and then you make the 37-yard field goal. Dicker comes through with the 37-yard field goal at the end of the game, but just wild, wild. I, what, what I saw, I don't know who said this, but it was like a matchup of 
who was going to win? Was it you're going to charging? Was charging going to overpower falconing or falconing charging? And it looks like the the falconing was the winner as far as the the most likely to just lose a game, <laughs> the most likely to just lose a game despite having it right there to potentially win. And that goes to the one game I think this week where I have a flipped adjusted score versus actual score. Um, Chargers were two and a half point favorites. They win by three. Oh, this is another one of the 2017 games here. My adjusted score, though, is 22-21 Atlanta. And it's a weird situation the Chargers are in right now. Weird, weird, weird situation. Because I think you don't feel great about the team, how they're playing so far this season. They have a negative point differential this season. Uh, Negative 18 points this season. You know, they got their asses handed to them against the Jaguars earlier this year. Uh, They lost a game to the Chiefs that they probably should have won way back in week two, which brought the ire of all Chiefs fans to me by pointing that out in the adjusted score. But yet you look up and you say, hey, we're five and three. We're one game behind the Chiefs right now. We look at the schedule going forward for the Chargers. They got a hard schedule. That's a little bit difficult. Third most difficult schedule remaining here. But yet, uh, 49ers next week in the 49ers is going to be absolutely enormous game, right? So that'll be big. But if they can win that game, they'll be at home the next week against the Chiefs with a chance to beat the Chiefs and go into a tie for first place. Two weeks from now, we could be looking at first place San San Diego. Jeez, I can't believe we went all the way back there. Los Angeles Chargers two weeks from now. It's within the realm of possibility, despite the fact they have a negative point differential so far this season. And, you know, I know that Keenan Allen's out. Mike Williams is out. All that stuff was happening. But it's still, it's just, Justin Herbert is just not getting going like he had been in the past. 5.7 yards per attempt in this game. Um, Average depth of target, 6.4, which is low, maybe not as bad as we've seen in the past. But he's just moving further and further into this, you know, I'm going to get the ball out quickly, 2.7 average time to throw. I'm not going to take any sacks. He did have four drops, including a drop which turned into an interception. So, yeah, there's that there. He actually graded pretty well, about 80 grade for us. But I don't know. You're just not getting a lot of explosiveness for this passing offense. And for the Falcons, you know, they continue to do their allergic to passing thing. Although Mariota, a couple of bad sacks in this one. No turnover-worthy plays, but no big-time throws. So he just wasn't doing much there offensively. Um, And I guess you can't really blame them when they continue to run the ball well. Tyler Algier, 99 yards on 10 carries. Did not see that one coming. Uh, Cordero Patterson's back 44 yards and 13 carries, not great, but still overall for the team, 200 rushing yards for the Falcons. Uh, they keep getting it going there. Let's look at the Falcons chances going forward. Uh, 35% chance to make the playoffs, 22% chance to win the division. So they're still hanging in there. They're still hanging in there a little bit. They're still, um, tied with the bucks, although they don't have the tiebreaker because they lost to the Bucs this year, but they're still tied in a division where, you know, no one is any good. Everyone has a negative, well, not any good, but no one is good. Everyone has a negative point differential. Hey, the point differential for the Falcons this year is only a negative eight. So it's better than the Chargers. 
so far this year. So maybe they have some chance going forward. All right, let's continue to move through here. Don't want to spend too much time on chargering and falconing. Uh, let's go to raidering, which this is this might be the new one is raidering. Third time this year that they've given up. They've cut. They've lost after being up 17 points in a game. Instead, they flick it to ETN at the five. Cuts it up. And touchdown. And the Jaguars pull ahead. Yes, the Jaguars eventually pull ahead. But again, 17 nothing for the Raiders at the beginning of this game. And something that will go under the radar because they didn't have the most efficiency. But success rate numbers were huge. Huge for Jacksonville in this one. And especially dropping back to pass, something that's really going to go under the radar is Trevor Lawrence because he didn't have a lot of dropbacks in this game. Uh, Let me get the exact number here. In this game, he dropped back to pass 33 times. So 33 dropbacks versus 37 rushing attempts. Um, I'm sorry, versus, I got to take the scrambles out, versus... 33 designed runs. So about equal 50-50, which is kind of a low number, especially when you're down 17 nothing. But he was pretty good when and he was like consistently successful. Big play offense is not 2.2 average time to throw, so quickly getting the ball out, making quick plays, uh zero sacks and shockingly 99.5 is the number of the game because that is the success rate percentile. For the Jaguars offense, 99.9 for Trevor Lawrence dropbacks. They were consistently gaining EPA over and over and over and over again. Just no big plays for the offense, which held them down in this one. Um, There were a couple other plays that, you know, held them down a little bit. There were, um, there was a fumble that on the first drive where it was a pitch out to uh, Jermichael Hastie was a third and five play at the 26 yard line is one of those plays where they probably would have gone for it. They miss a 41 yard field goal later in the game. So there are a couple of things that are in pointing towards this being even a bigger victory for the Jaguars than what it ended up being. And I don't know if I even trust my adjusted score on this one, because it's just a huge, huge number for Jacksonville because their success rate was so high. Maybe they're just not an explosive offense, but uh, there are two and a half point favorites in this one. They win 27, 20 and the adjusted score 36 to 16. Yeah. That 36 number is probably too big. They just had this incredibly high percentile in their success rate where they're about 50th, 55th percentile in their actual efficiency because of the fumble and other stuff. But, um, you know, big, big, huge number comes through in the adjusted score. I'm going to discount that somewhat, but a good game for, for Jacksonville. It's interesting with Trevor Lawrence. He's now at 10th in the NFL in his expected points added per play. Hey, you can't really argue that much. His grade has got better too. His grade was really, really low. Now it's like 20th. So 20th in grading, 10th in efficiency. Not bad. Not bad for Trevor Lawrence, but they're definitely running the ball a lot, which makes sense because they're able to run the ball very, very efficiently, especially Travis Etienne. is just like a superstar in the making right here. 13 missed tackles forced for Etienne on 28 carries. Uh, Not the most efficient here, 3.9 yards per carry, but still eight first downs. All those missed tackles uh, moving forward here. Josh Jacobs on the other side, 11 missed tackles for us, but uh, only 67 yards in the game. And Derek Carr here, 65 grade versus an 85 for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I don't know what to say about the Raiders. 
anymore, honestly. It's one of those ones where you could have pointed like underrated team, underrated team, underrated team, but then they keep on losing. And to have these losses when you're up by so much over and over again, God, it's got to be really, really painful in that building, especially for uh, the new head coach, Josh McDaniels there. Where do we stand now? Raiders, two and six, near the, actually, really near the bottom of the AFC standings. You have the Texans at one, six and one. You have the Steelers at two and six, and then also the Raiders at two and six. Jaguars would have been two and six if they lost. Now they're up to three and six. Not great, but, you know, maybe there's some like outside possibility that they can get close to the Colts who are five and three. I'm not sorry, the, the Titans who are five and three. That's really their only chance probably of getting into the playoffs is being able to eventually sweep through and win the division. We only give them about a 15% chance of doing that. I might take the over on that slightly as far as what their chance is doing it. The problem, though, for the Jags is you have Chiefs next week. You have a bye. Then you have the Ravens. So, you know, you'd be happy to get one of those. Uh, then you have the Lions. Okay, hopefully you can bank that, but it's still, it's in Detroit. Then the Titans, that'll be a huge game. Cowboys, that's eh, rough. Jets, surprising Jets, that's eh, kind of rough there too. T- Texans, okay, and then Titans again. So just a tough schedule, a top five most difficult schedule for the Jags going forward, which will hurt them a little bit there. But let's not sleep on Lawrence. That's what I would say. Everyone's going to be talking Fields, and Fields had a good game. Let's also not sleep on Lawrence and what he was able to do in this contest. All right, let's go to Cincinnati. I mean, it was a total complete blowout, but at least we should hit this up uh, before getting into some of the late games. This was one of the games where I liked the Bengals to have a big, strong comeback uh, win in this one, despite being favored by a lot, and that's exactly what they provided with the Joe Mixon show. Personnel get their major in right now, protecting this lead. Flag down, Mixon motoring around the edge. Mixon into the end zone. His fourth rushing touchdown of the day. Yes, yes, they made the fourth rushing touchdown of the day. Also a receiving touchdown there. Five touchdowns for for Joe Mixon. Anyone who follows my fantasy football work, listens to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, because that's just you do, at least the AFC-NFC wrap-up pods that I do with Ian Harditz. Um, We we got some good bits going on in that one that I've developed recently. Knows that Joe Mixon is the expected fantasy points king. A lot of expected points based upon his usage, all these goal line carries, everything else, but he's not putting up fantasy points. Well, it all came through and then some in this contest. That's why we're going to go fantasy here on our number of the game. 55.1. That's the PPR fantasy points for Joe Mixon this week. Five touchdowns, 211 total yards on 22 carries and four receptions. And if we want to put it in context here, like how much is this? For any player, biggest fantasy football output for any player this season, 10.3 points higher than the closest, which was Stephon Diggs in week two. Uh, Talk about a dominant, dominant game here for the Bengals. I thought this was an interesting stat from Ben Fox over at, I don't know, he works for one of the betting publications, like betting newswire publications. Cincinnati Bengals, 35 points in the first half. Carolina Panthers, 32 yards in the first half. That is really a way to dominate this contest. Uh, Cincinnati was a seven-point favorite. Obviously, they cover with ease, ease, ease in this one, 42-21. Adjusted score, 34-12, to a little bit closer. You know, Baker Mayfield kind of came in and actually was okay in the second half. 
but you know they're in like prevent prevent mode the entire time so it's not looking to it too much but at least they were able to get those 21 points onto the board there to make it look a little bit respectable i mean what do we say about this one i guess it's, it's you know it's not a huge thing to say you beat down on the panthers but the panthers defense hadn't been the biggest issue for them at least early in the season was mostly the offense now it's flipping around to having some of those issues on defense so that could be a little bit of an issue uh there they didn't have to like be that successful throwing the ball for the Bengals, but at least they got higgins involved somewhat seven catches for 60 yards they got another 58 yards from mixon again the the king of fantasy scoring for the week Joe Burrow was was fine, you know, 87 grade, didn't have to do a whole lot, only had 29 dropbacks in the game. One sack, so didn't see a lot of pressure. One big time throw, no turnover worthy plays. Didn't have to do a lot. Did not have to do a lot right here. Really rough game for PJ Walker after everyone was singing his praises last week. Uh, three for 10 for nine yards. Two turnover worthy plays. Yikes. Not good at all. Panthers are donezo. They've been donezo. Maybe they're going to get that number one pick. Are they, are, they in the, are they in the mix? That's why that winning that game really hurt them last week when we're talking about number one pick mix here. Where are they? Two and seven. So they're in the mix. Now we have the Lions up to two and six. So the Lions are out of there. It's just really going to be the Texans. They're going to be tough to get off to get off of that number one pick because they're one, six, and one right now okay playoff chances for the Bengals. i have the Bengals as still being a top five top six team you know despite the really ugly performance last year i know they're only five and four they're behind the trail of ravens by half a game in that division we'll see what happens with the ravens tonight they're on their game and a half above the browns right now but Still, playoff chances, we have them at 52%. So it's still kind of a coin flip for them. The problem with the Bengals is they have the hardest schedule in the NFL for the rest of the season, according to our numbers. So they go on by. They come back. They have the Steelers at Steelers. Okay, that's not too bad. Titans at Titans. Chiefs at home. Browns at home. And this will be with Deshaun Watson at quarterback for the Browns. Bucks at Bucks, Patriots at Patriots, Bills at home, Ravens at home. That's a tough one. That's a tough schedule. And they're going to have to be, you know, at least 500 on those eight remaining games. So at least 500 means they're going to have to beat the Bills maybe or the Chiefs or the Ravens. They're going to have to win one of those games or the Patriots in New England. They're going to have to win some of those games um, in order to really be able to come through and secure a playoff spot in a stacked AFC this season season all right let's flow forward now uh upward and onward here let's go to new england speaking of new england let's go to new england where the colts come into town and uh, it was not pretty for the indianapolis colts that's a big target here at the bottom as well under pressure and he goes down guess who Yes, the guess who there. So again, this is not great when you have the TV feed here. Matt Judon has well, this is... three sacks for Judon in this game. And Sam Ellinger, like, I don't know. I don't get the move to Ellinger. I guess you, maybe you needed a spark, but let's think about it. At the time that the Colts moved to Ellinger, right? They were 3-3-1. Three, three and one. The Titans were... Four and two. 
three, three, and one versus four and two. Sam Ellinger. Like, what are we doing here? What's going on here? Uh, that brings us to our number of the game. 1.1. That was the net passing yards per attempt for Ellinger. Again, that's when we net out the sack yards. Had 103 passing yards in this game. 60 lost yards on, on nine sacks in this game. They're just handing out sacks. You know, Judon's one of these guys. He's going to have a ton of sacks this season. Um, they're just like handing them out. It's, it's really making them pretty easy uh, to accumulate in this one. And just an ugly game, though, generally. Uh, New England was a four and a half point favorite. They win 26 to three, but the adjusted score is 11 to nine. New England also not good. Not good at all offensively. Mac Jones. Third worst PFF grade on the season right now for his grading. And again, we go back to um, bring up the the EPA per play. Mac Jones, 32nd amongst 35 qualifying quarterbacks in EPA per play. I, I didn't watch this one. I guess there was no real opportunity for them to get down to see whether or not the Bailey Zappi calls are coming out. But, geez, I thought it was ridiculous to consider it a couple of weeks ago. But now, I don't know, man. At least you're winning games. Um, it is a little bit weird for the Patriots, though, because they're 5-4. and four. They have a positive point differential this season of 37 points. So that's pretty good. Uh, they're on a two-game win streak. But... They're still trailing the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills. They're still last in their division right here. And again, without good quarterback play, we'll see what they can do going forward. We have them at a 37% chance to make the playoffs right here. And again, for the Patriots, the problem is schedule. Rest of the season, second hardest schedule here. Now, they are going to go on a bye. They come out of the bye, the Jets at home. That's not that bad. At the Vikings, you know, fraudulent Vikings, seven and one. So maybe that one's not that bad. At home versus the Bills, at the Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills again. So they got the Bills twice for the rest of the year, which is going to make things difficult for them to make the playoffs. And again, if you're not good offensively, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to do this year because it's just the fall off for Mac Jones has been incredible. Because if you look at them offensively this season, they are. 29th in, let's go to the rush first. They're 29th in success rate running the ball, 24th in EPA for play running the ball, 21st in success rate by dropbacks, 26th EPA per dropback. Last year, they were 9th and 11th dropbacks. They were 10th and 8th design runs. They were 10th offense in total success rate last year. They're 26th this year. I don't know. Maybe they can maybe they can pull it through. The defense was supposed to be some of the issue and wondering what was going to happen on the back end there. And they have these guys playing really, really well on the back end. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Not the W here. Congratulations for that. But not a whole lot. I don't think even to get excited for, for Patriots fans in this one. All right, let's go to Tampa Bay. Another game maybe there wasn't a lot to get excited for. But in the NFC, any wins are good wins. And the Bucks get one at home. Here's the snap to Brady. Takes to Fournette. He throws. It's caught. It's in for the touchdown! Incredible! Tampa Bay! Yes, yes. A touchdown at the end of the game as time basically expires here. I'm not sure what the Rams are doing with their defense, playing pretty soft in this one because this was not a shootout. 
by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, that brings us to our number of the game, which is 14. And that is the number of total drives without a first down. I would have said the number of three and outs, but there was like a four and out as one of those. But still, 14 different times a team got the ball and couldn't get a fir- couldn't even get a f- one first down in this game. That shows you how bad it was in this one. Uh, Tampa Bay was a three-point favorite. They win 16-13. to 13. They just score 20-7 to seven for Tampa Bay, so a little bit better for Tampa Bay. I don't know. I mean, Brady looks bad, but I don't think he looks that bad. I thought the Bucs of any of the struggling Giants in the NFC, so I'll put the Rams and – the Rams, Bucks, and Packers, supposed to be you know three of the best teams, maybe the th- three best teams in the NFC to start the season. I think the Bucs – have the best chance of turning things around. Um, and they did look a little bit better in this one. I mean, Brady had a 71 grade versus a 54 grade for Stafford. He continues to struggle mightily when it comes to not having protection there. Can't find anyone to do anything with when it comes to passing the ball other than Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup has 134 of the 173 passing yards in this game. You know, can't run the ball. Neither team can really run the ball in this one. 2.8 yards per carry for the Rams, 2.5 yards per carry for the Buccaneers. There was all this talk going into the game that the Bucs need to get that run count up, regardless of whether being efficient or not. Uh, nine carries, 19 yards for Fournette. Eight carries, 27 yards for Rashad White. Just bad, bad there. Um, but 60 dropbacks for for uh, Tom Brady. So they did lean into it at least. 4.8, though yards per pass attempt now the bucks number gets a little bit of a boost here according to my adjustments because one of the adjustments is dropped passes and we have six drops here for the bucks now some of them were not the biggest deal there were some third downs that could have been converted via drop um though a lot of them may have been overweighted a little bit according to this formula because they were like passes out to running backs i think fournette had to drop uh Keyshawn Vaughn had a drop. So not all of them would have been conversions, but there were a couple of conversions that didn't end up happening because the Bucks could not seem to hold on to the ball in this one. I mean, six drops is a lot, although there were 60 dropbacks. So I guess if you count that, including a really, really important one. Now they end up getting the, the touchdown there at the end, but of course, Scotty Miller dropped what would have been a touchdown even before that. Not an impactful one, but one that comes through in the ratings for, for, um, my adjusted score 280 yards on 60 dropbacks <sighs> not good for the bucks okay so what, what are we looking at going forward I, i'm done with this game i don't even want to look at it it's so bad both of these offenses what they're doing uh bucks are, are falling mightily down our power rankings i think they were as high as fourth a few weeks ago now they're down to 11th and 70 percent chance to make the playoffs so almost entirely based upon winning the division at 63 percent Rams, 24% chance to make the playoffs. Not good. Not good for the Rams. Luckily, they they notched that Super Bowl victory last year because it's getting further and further out of reach to catch the Seahawks to win the division there. And again, the NFC is a little bit a little bit crowded when it comes to the wild card competition this year. All right, let's uh, apologies to Seahawks fans. I feel like I'm you don't deserve to be last here. Apologies to the fighting Geno Smiths and Seahawks fans. You don't deserve to be last in the in the wrap-up here. Um, there were only two afternoon games, though, and I have to give a little bit of credit to the Super Bowl champions and Tom Brady by putting them first. 
But let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks who come through with another victory. And if you were sleeping on them, as I may have been, I may have been asleep. I'm fully woke now, though, to Geno Smith and the Seahawks. Walker. Looking for an alley. And Walker pounding his way into the end zone for a touchdown. Yes, Kenneth Walker is unstoppable, as I know well. Have him on some of my fantasy teams. It's my PFF team. Stepped in. Stalwart here. Uh, helping them go through. Helping them go ahead and lead to victory here. You know, 109 yards on 26 carries for Walker. So not like the most efficient game, but still. Seven, seven first downs, two touchdowns, pushing it through here. But I think the point that really needs to be emphasized more, and I know Geno Smith is a story, so I don't want to you know, shirk him what he deserves, although he only had a 66 grade in this game. He had a couple of turnover-worthy plays in this game. Wasn't his best game, 8.1 yards per attempt, so not bad. But the story of this team really needs to be that defense. Uh, No-name sort of defense, you could say, right? Other than maybe Tariq Woolen, who is – starting to come forward now as a late-round rookie who's been excellent there on the outside. No Jamal Adams, losing him for the season. Not a lot invested there. You're like, oh, this is going to be the worst defense in the NFL. No, they have come through, and they're playing extremely well. Top five defense over the last four weeks. And that brings us to our number of the game, what they were able to do in this one. 4.9. So that's the yards per attempt for Kyler Murray in this game. That's the lowest number of his entire career outside of that really, really ugly wild card loss where they completely imploded uh, against the Rams last season. This Seattle defense is for real, for real. Um, let's look at the particulars. Arizona was a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The Seahawks win 31-21, adjusted score 24-16. to So you see those numbers are a bit lower. 16 adjusted score for that Seattle defense, playing really, really well this season. And... Let me give you the exact numbers for, let's get seasonal numbers. Let's go ahead and say, hey, I'm not going to like chop it up too much for Seattle here and give them a ton of credit for the last few weeks, but not so much for what happened before. Uh, But even still, even if you look at the whole season where they were struggling earlier this year, they're about average in EPA per play. They are 10th in success rate against. Last year, they were 25th in success rate against. And against the run, top 10, against dropbacks, middling but almost top 10 solid solid numbers there i think geno smith is getting all the headlines and geno smith has been good um that offense has been good but now it's kind of like you're looking at a team where offensively and defensively they're playing like maybe the eighth ninth tenth best offense in the nfl and then their defense has been maybe even better the last few weeks but at least even on the season is a middling sort of defense so you have Top 10 offense, middling defense, that's a pretty strong combination. I think we need to start talking about, like, could the Seahawks get out of the – could the Seahawks go to the championship? Could they go to the Super Bowl this year? Yeah, I know. You got the Eagles. You got the others. You know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But, hey, they got a compelling case here um, for how good they are internally as a team. I have about 75, 80% chance they make the playoffs. They have a little bit of a difficult schedule going forward, so we don't get it too ahead of ourselves. They have a top 10 most difficult schedule the rest of the season. But still, at 6-3, and three, Rams falling apart. 49ers, I think the 49ers are real, so that's going to be their, their challenge there. Rams are done. Cardinals are done, pretty much. 
Um, the Seahawks schedule the rest of this season at Bucks. Ooh, that'll be a really good game. Oh, that's uh, oh, it's not even at Bucks. Oh, that's the Berlin game. I see nine thirty a.m. So they're they're going to to Berlin. So the Bucks are not even really the home team there, although they're 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 probably favored there. Our own Timo Timo Riske. Um, I don't know if he's in Berlin, German. As a Bucks fan, maybe there's like some Bucks Germany German combination there. So they're going to go there. They have the Raiders at home. That's pretty winnable, but the Raiders are sneaky. Okay. Then they have the Rams at the Rams, Panthers at home. That's a W. 49ers, Chiefs, uh, Jets, Rams. So they have two more Rams games. So if the Rams don't get things together, those are looking like you should win at least one of those. The Bucs, eh, I don't know, it's about 50-50. I know the Bucs will be favored in this game, but Seahawks will be in it. You could lose to the Raiders. I wouldn't put it past losing to the Raiders. Chiefs, that's a tough one. 49ers, that's a tough one, but at least it's at home. I don't know. You know, they lost the first game to the 49ers, so they need the second 49ers game at home to, like, have a chance to get a tiebreaker type of situation here and not losing that there. N- never thought I would have said it to start the season, but the... Seahawks are very, very much in it. Um, just a total dysfunctional game. If we're going to talk about the Cardinals here for what they're doing, and it's not exactly surprising to say the Cardinals are dysfunctional. You know, 8% chance to make the playoffs now that they've fallen off a cliff. They're three and six. You got Cliff Kingsbury with his five-year extension sitting on top of that. Steve Kine, their GM, with also a five-year extension. No idea what was going on there, but it is the case. Kyler, let's talk. Kyler talks so far this season for his numbers here. Kyler is 22nd in grading and 20th in EPA per play. Not good. He looked like he was taking a step forward. The second half of last year hasn't ended up happening this year. Um, well, not the second half of last year. It was really kind of like the first half of this year. He really needs someone who can get down the field. Rondell Moore is providing something for him, which is – a little bit surprising because he had an average depth of target last year of like one and a half yards. So he's providing a little something for him. As far as some explosive plays, he actually led the team with 69 uh, reception uh, receiving yards, although only a 4.2 a dot Zach Ertz, 11.6 a dot is one of the highest ones there. Deandre Hopkins only 36 yards on four catches. So he disappeared after having a huge, huge role for them. Yeah. If they can't get Deandre Hopkins going, I don't know what they're going to be doing offensively because a lot is not working uh, for the rest of them. Although they did run the ball pretty well and Murray is just really turned over to running, but he had that fumble, which ended up being hugely negative for them, but eight carries 55 yards. So I don't know. They're pretty much done for the season already halfway through the year. So definitely hugely disappointing, a uh, year for the Cardinals so far. Maybe they can get the offense going and just hope that um, the Seahawks, you know, come back down to earth and fall apart the rest of the season. That's probably the only path for them getting to the playoffs is the 49ers continue to struggle. The Rams continue to be the Rams so far this year. And the the Seahawks come back down to earth and that gives them some path maybe to the playoffs. But other than that, it's going to be really, really tough already halfway through the season. You can almost write them off at this point. All right. Um, for the schedule for the rest of the week, I think we're going to do an interview tomorrow, but I'm not sure about that. Otherwise, I'll come to you in the morning to review Monday Night Football, Saints, Baltimore. Uh, if we do the review, I'll do a try to like throw the adjusted score in there real fast and then do a review. I want to do a whole podcast on 
Like who is, who can we write off or need to replace, or are we satisfied with amongst all the young quarterbacks going from Daniel Jones all the way to Kenny Pickett from what we've seen so far this year and bring someone in to talk about that. We'll see if we can do it or not. I may have to delay it till next week. Otherwise I'll be coming tomorrow morning. And if you're still listening at this point, that means you're probably a fan of the podcast. If you are a fan of the podcast, really appreciate rate review on Apple podcasts. Leave me a question there for mailbag. And I will answer that on an upcoming show. Otherwise I appreciate all of the eyeballs on YouTube, the ears listening to the podcast, and I'll be coming at you guys a little bit later this week. Thanks so much, everybody.